Hi, this is Steve Springer. You're listening to Worshiping God, God's Way. In this podcast, we have been talking the last 12 months or so about worship, what worship is, where it came from. Uh, we discuss a lot of scriptures and a lot of stories. Uh, we also offer a book called Worshiping God, God's Way that I wrote back in 2022. That's available to you if you want a copy. You can go to Amazon or bookstores or you could go to the publisher itself and, and order that book or you can email me at worshipinggodgodsway at gmail.com and I'll send you a copy of that book for free. It's not about purchasing or making the money. It's really just talking about the reason behind it really is that we want you to understand the material. We want to present you with a new thought, a new idea about worship. And that's what's important. That's why this all of this got started. And it's interesting because um, I really took uh, quite a long time myself just reviewing and reading and studying worship. I was a worship leader myself. Uh, for many years. And when I was doing that, I didn't really question what I was doing. People really talked to me as if I was a worship leader, and I just assumed that I was. And But now that I've spent a lot of time discussing and talking and reviewing, I find out that and really believe that Christians know very little about worship. And they live by a code of being people who worship but they don't really understand what that is. And early on when I was giving the idea, a real serious thought, it appeared to me that all was well with the concept of worship within Christian settings, but that's before I discovered what God's Word is saying and how it explains the act of worship and the place that it has in a believer's life. It's not only that Christians don't understand the term worship, They resist the idea based on just the posture. When when it's presented to them in a real clear fashion, supported by commonly read scriptures and historical reference, they still resist the idea. You know, taking a systematic approach when trying to explain the truth about worship, I found a quiet resistance to the word just the word itself found in the scriptures that were being reviewed by a large group of people, but there was more of an enthusiasm in the stories that portrayed the act of worship than the word itself. People are amused uh, by the stories more than the personal interaction and their own their own part in it. You know, over time, this resistance revealed a, to me revealed a modern generation, really, this generation today, that has an inability to surrender to the idea and the logic that accompanies the act of worship. I would simply just say, no matter how many times a person is given the opportunity to admit that worship is something specific that God is requiring from a modern-day Christian They still refuse and they don't like to allow that type of thinking to enter their life system religiously or spiritually. It's hard for them to open up. Now, I'm talking about younger people. You know, they're not the people from the 70s during the Jesus movement. Those people are are my age today. 
and they've gone through their changes and their resistance and now they came they've come to a place where they're confronted with coming to a new place in Jesus and they're having to struggle with that but even the modern day believer the people that I know who are in churches and heading up spearheading up churches even though they're willing to listen to the premise of worship they still remain resistant to the thought while holding on to it with a tight grip you know they want to worship they want to be worshipers but they don't really know personally how that works in their lives you know this should not be the case in a person's life who's confessing that jesus is their lord that jesus is the king of the universe and that jesus is coming back to get them that shouldn't be the case worship should be the first thing they understand it would seem that there would be no resistance to the suggestion of a human being bowing themselves before their creator worshiping him with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the act of worship should be welcomed. However, to many, it is just a suggestion that is unwanted, they're unagreeable, and more often they reject it. And that's surprising to me. Understandably, it appears that people choose to believe what they want to believe and reflect only on the experiences that have caused them comfort or brought them success or acceptance. I've never seen a more resistant people to the idea of worshiping their creator than this generation right now. The stories that they have read regarding the Hebrews and their journey into God's promised land is one that Christians reference casually all the time. However, they themselves, they don't see that they're reflecting a similar attitude and a similar problem. They're resisting what worship is. They're doing it in a new modern sense, but it is no different than what we read in the journey of the Hebrews when they're following Moses and Joshua. Christians have found themselves in an awkward position where people will confess that they too are worshiping, yet they resist the idea of bowing down before the God that they serve. That's very difficult to get through. I've thought about this a lot because even all the people that I know, they still pause. They don't respond. They'll send me things like videos and scriptures and they'll try to tell me, listen, these guys are talking about worship. And then I go to listen and they're talking about singing songs. They're talking about their song lists. They're talking about how wonderful praise is. And when they're in prison, they're delivered. And when they they go here, they walk up Mount Zion and they talk of all the great things that take place during their praise time. And they keep calling it worship. And I get it. I understand it completely. And there's truth in what they're saying. Yet there needs to be a correction. There needs to be a change of thinking because they're missing something that's very important to the Lord himself. Inasmuch as all of this, you know, we agree, really would agree to what I'm saying. Worship is bowing down and before God, that's how, where he, how he sees it. But we still can't seem to find it within ourselves to admit that we have something to learn and experience at the altar of worship. All of us have the means 
to read and remember the course of history. God gives it to us. We can read the commandment that tells us that the earth and all of humanity will bow before one God and they'll worship him only. Jesus said that. We can read the scripture that says, you know, Jesus told Satan that there's only one way, there's only one way to worship, there's only one way to serve. There's only one God that you bow down before and there's only one God that you serve. We can also read John 4 and we can hear Jesus in his own words describing what his father is looking for across the whole earth what his father is calling for. Yet in all of this, we still resist God's way. We want to keep our own selves. We want to keep ourselves in a safe place, in a place where we don't have any conflict. We're comfortable. Our theology sounds good. And so we stay there. That's humanity's repetitive dilemma saying our way is the best way. Our way is the way we like to have things done. All of that said, though, it's simply a metaphor. But there's something different about this generation in this church age that we're living in. There is a stronger hold on the people who come to worship meetings, yet refuse to worship him. There is a conflict within humanity, and it is surfacing in today's church age, and the conflict is built on self-preference and personal satisfactions and the desire to be recognized. The difficulty is found in the large numbers of people who are coming to participate and be associated with what is being called the worship services. Numbers equal power. To resist these numbers, you're saying that you are resisting the power of God. And that puts someone who's not in agreement with this large number concept in an awkward place. It's not saying that their praise isn't sufficient. It's a large number of people praising, but they're calling this group, this large number, they're calling them worshipers. And if someone says, no, that's not right, they're going to say, well, there's power here. There's God's presence here. These people, this must be worship. These people, they're rejoicing, they're singing, they're coming, they're lifting their eyes and hearts and they're singing to him. It's a beautiful place. Yet every day that I speak to a certain people, they'll tell me how wonderful large meetings have been and how powerful they were and how many people were participating in singing. I understand the singing and the raising of hands. I've said that. A meeting would be drab without it. But there's an alarm when they call all of it the act of worship before the throne room of God. This is a very large dilemma that we face today. So in search of the answer, I just want to take a few more minutes in this podcast and I want to poke at something that might help you and I understand where this conflict is coming from where this misrepresentation takes place. There is an article uh, called Paul's Contradictions, and it was written by John G. Geiger uh, back in 2012. And it was found, I read it in the Biblical Archaeology Society magazine. It's a quote from this article. And 
I wasn't looking for worship stuff when I was reading this. I was just reading the articles that they have. And there's some real smart, genius people in this magazine, great, great theologians, and they have a lot to offer. So I'm reading this, and Paul, John, I'm sorry, John G. Gagger is saying he has an argument, a, a problem with the contradictions about Paul, and he starts to explain what those are, but I'm not going to take the time to do that. But in his article, he references a few things, and I'm going to apply this to our understanding about worship and what it is. First of all, he's saying, and I agreed with this, that when we read Scripture, we need to read the text in a way which we hear the writer's voice and not just our own voice. So many people are listening to the same teachers over and over and over, the same thought and theology. They are not getting to the real voice that wrote the real scripture. They're just hearing their own. They're hearing the way that the people that they're a part of, the groups they're a part of, they're listening to their voices, their translation, their ideas, and they never dig down far enough to see the voice which it was originally written in. And it is possible to do that. All of us read text within some framework. That's what John G. Geiger's saying. You know, we start with assumptions before we even start reading what we're going to read. We already have assumed. We already know what it's going to say. We just read it again, and we read it again in the same way. We never step outside and say, Lord, what, who wrote this, and how come they wrote this this way? You know, we never start with a clean slate. That's the other thing John J. Geiger is saying, and I agree with him. He says this, and for the most part, when we deal with texts, like the letters of Paul? Or how about the words of Jesus? You know, are we aware of the possibility that, that we're changing them? When we talk about Jesus in John 4, when we're talking to the Samaritan woman, when he's talking to her, I mean, how can we understand what she's saying? How can we understand her situation, her environment? How do we understand her questions if we don't get inside of that verse, inside of that story, and we learn what she's talking about and why she's saying what she's saying. What about the words of Jesus, his response to her? We have to hear what he's saying to her for us to understand why that portion of scripture is so important. Changing that makes it impossible for us to understand it. I'm saying if you just read this cold turkey, you're just going to read it within your own setting in life and you're going to apply it to the people around you or possibly just you alone. And it's just a text that is hard to break through and get the real answer from. So you can't really build something on it unless you know. It's impossible for us to understand the text based on a new hermeneutic or a principle or or interpretation. You know, I'm saying this because the people I talk to, they are just reading those words, and I would just use John 4, 24 as an example. They're just reading them in their own voice. They're reading them in their own situation, in the place where they are. 
They're not thinking deeply to hear what that woman was really saying and what how Jesus was really responding. Do you know that in John 4, Jesus explains to the whole world, every generation since the first century, he's telling them how God, his Father, sees and listens and cares and searches for people who will pursue Neo, who will bow down before him. That's the text, the, the real absolute minimal text that God's saying, Jesus is saying about God in that scripture. That is very simple. But when we read that word, we read the word worship there, we read that scripture, every single person that I've talked to says, yeah, but... But what about this? Wait a minute. He can't mean that. I, I do other things. Worship to me is, and then they give me a directory. They give me all these, all these changes and all these ideas, and they, they say all the stuff that's not in that verse. So what would happen if we were to recall what Jesus was saying in that verse, and we were to learn what it really meant and really hold it up to the light, Jesus's light, and say, what does this mean to us? You would have to go back and you'd have to correct yourself. You'd have to start over. And that's what people do not like to do. There's no one that I know today that would say, wow, I got that wrong. That's not right. I was wrong when I said worship was standing, worship was singing, worship. They, they're not going to come to me and say that. I really don't think they would. It's very, it's kind of hard to swallow. It's a little bit embarrassing. And if you're a pastor and you've stood in front of a church for 20 or 30 years preaching the same message and you've never talked about people bowing before God and that being worship, you'd have a very difficult time going back and starting over. It's hard to correct assumptions and frameworks that are wrong. But when we read the letters, it's up to us to get it right. The result is it's not just a minor adjustment here or there on the fringes of some Old Testament verse or an image. This image is, is hard to correct. 100% of what he's talking about is Paul's words, and people have been looking at Paul's words, and they've been discussing them for a long time. But I just want you to discuss the words of Jesus. I just want you to listen and get the image and the voice out of that verse, out of John 4.24. There are a lot of other verses that we could do this to, but that one is key. That's an old view in the sense of God started that view back in day one, and Jesus talks about it in the first century. Now it's 2023, but it represents a complete message, but we're completely misreading it if we don't see it in his voice, if we don't hear it in his voice, if we don't act upon his voice. I wasn't just looking for a big answer for this worship question when I read this article. I wasn't looking. God just led me to it. And he challenged me and said, listen, this guy has a problem with this. Well, you have a problem with worship, and this is how you answer it. People need to hear my voice. They need to hear it when they read that verse. They need to go back and start from the beginning, and they need to understand the question. They need to understand the answer. They need to understand what God is calling for when people raise their hands and say, I want to worship you. There needs to be an answer. The answer is to worship God's, God's way. That's possible. 
and this is how you do it. You bow yourself before the Lord and you worship him there.